0: Welcome to a new season of The Edge, a podcast by Tag Heuer. Our guest on this episode is Stephen Melbourne, co-founder of the lifestyle brand, Melbourne Golf. Stephen, along with his wife and partner, Erica, are on a mission to inspire today's youth to participate in what they believe is the greatest game on earth. Since its inception in 2017, Melbourne Golf has become the go-to brand for creative, stylish, and active people. It's known for its unmistakable branding and playful curation. Stephen tells us what makes it so attractive to its close-knit community, and what he thinks the future holds for Melbourne golf. I'm your host, Naomi Schiff, and this is The Edge, a podcast by Tag Hoyer.
1: I was running a studio and I was working for Toyota. I was working for Nike Golf, HBO. Typical strategy, consulting, creative direction, making a ton of content, short form videos for YouTube with branded content where that was basically what was happening. I was not golfing. I was um, I was doing more like art stuff and, um, you know, had a young family. So I had two boys and my wife and the kids were were very young and our offices were on La Brea. And we switched over to Fairfax and opened this little shop. And it was very interesting quickly to see, like, golf is such an addictive thing where, like, within the first month or so that we were open, both Justin Bieber and Justin Timberlake, like, just pulled up on their own and came in and said, like, hey, is it okay if I hit golf balls in the room? You know, it's like you're Justin Bieber. Like, you could do whatever you want. Of course, you could go in there and hit golf balls. And then... um. It just moved really quickly, like George Lopez, Kendrick Lamar, Travis Scott, like all of these people were like around. And because of the neighborhood where we put a golf shop was so non-traditional of where you would put a golf shop, you got to have new people experience. Like I remember people would come into the shop and say like, I've never golfed before. And then I would hand them a putter. We had a putting green in the shop and I would say, okay, so just... Put that ball into that hole and they would do it and I'd say okay now you've golfed like that's it it's that's all you're really doing it's like uh you know you start putting then you learn how to chip and then you learn how to hit it a little further and a little further and a little further and it's such a um instant gratification when you hit a ball whether it's good or bad like you don't need many you know to get you hooked like if out of a hundred shots you hit one good all you're going to remember is the one good one you know and that's what makes you want to get better so you can hit 20 out of 100 good or 60 out of 100 good but you're never going to hit 100 out of 100 good we didn't even know we were going to like be a, a clothing brand. We, th- we were thinking we could open like cafes and do simulators indoors with a cafe or a restaurant. And we, could, we were thinking it may end up being like a golf training facility where we have instructors and people could come indoor and get lessons. Because in Los Angeles at the time, it's all of the courses that are close to Hollywood are private. And the ones that aren't close are the public ones. So there's a lot of traffic in L.A. And it was like if you lived in Hollywood, it was quite an ordeal to have to travel, you know, 20 miles or something to go play golf, get lessons, etc. So we really had no set expectations of like what the brand was. It was just more of like a feeling we were trying to curate and um yeah then when people started buying the stuff it was really cool and it was really cool to see like the first polos and quarter zips and you know were nike that was like we were buying nike sending them our logo and they were putting our logo on their polos and quarter zips and windbreakers or whatever and they were mailing to us and then we would Position everything in the shop beautifully, and um, people were buying it. But I started to realize that, like, the exact same things they were buying you could buy the same exact SKU at like a mega golf store or a sports store like Dick's Sporting Goods. Like you could buy the exact same polo down the road for less money than we were charging, but they were buying it because they wanted our logo and they wanted that feeling to be a part of their life. And so that was cool to see that like, you know, you could buy the same thing around the corner for 10 bucks less, but they're buying it more expensive at our shop because it has our logo and i realized that like they don't really care about the nike polo they just want our logo and so the next evolution of that was like well why don't we just make our own polos because obviously people want our polo they're just buying it it's like um if you go to like a four seasons hotel and you want to buy a a windbreaker that says four seasons on it, so you can remember your wonderful trip you went on. You're not going in there like, I want this brand. You're going in there because you want four seasons written on a sweatshirt or a windbreaker or a pullover. And so, um, that was a cool experience to realize that, like, our branding is is people relate to our branding enough where they want to buy it on things. And they want our branding more than they do Nike, which is, you know, a great feeling. One side is is sharing and and trying to inspire young people to realize that golf isn't as snooty or, you know, uptight as they may think and then at the same time it's it's showing the older kind of traditional older guard of goth that young people who are creative are not necessarily as like tasteless as they may think or offensive as they may think so i think it's a a double-sided sword it's like getting younger people to to just participate a bit whether it be through video games through fashion through golf itself um, and getting the older guys to realize that like you know golf is a sport where you can like be proud to get dressed and you can dress yourself and you can um, you know match your vest with your sweater or your your polo and your pants and your belt and your shoes and it's like it gives you know grownups uh, a time to play dress up, if you will, and the fashion of golf all the way back to like JFK or or Frank Sinatra and you know um, Payne Stewart and Freddie Couples, like all of these different people. We're so inspirational to me as a young person. They're like, I would want to dress, you know, like I wear sweatpants in the house or I wear sweatpants to go get coffee and things like that. But if I go play a really nice golf course, like I want to dress like my Sunday best, like I want to dress up. I want to put on, you know, a look that makes me feel better. And I think I guess if you 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 feel good, you look good, you play good is uh, the hope. The challenge is like any for any brand. It's it's kind of um, the chicken before the egg, right? So you want to make like really high quality, great products, but you can't make high quality, great products if the quantities aren't high enough. So the right using the proper factories and having the proper um, production. If you only want to make you know fifty shirts. You're you end up using like sample quality. So like there's someone like hand making them and the quality isn't where it needs to be. The pricing isn't where it needs to be. So the challenges are like making good stuff on your own when you don't have enough people that want to buy it and the company was very underfunded as well so like we put in our own money my wife and i and like my mom and my my wife's mom um they put they helped us lent us some money etc but it was very much uh, everything was a challenge you know like um nervous wreck buying stuff because we didn't have enough cash flow to actually like If you bought too much stuff and it didn't sell, we would be like out of business immediately. And so being able to work with Nike, being able to work with Seamus and Jones and Footjoy and, and eventually a bunch of other brands. But being able to buy their products, you could buy like 48 sweatshirts and it was Nike's quality. So at least we were getting good quality stuff with our branding on it. And then COVID hit. And basically the shop was shut down, so that helped a ton by making us like eliminate the focus of running a retail store that was doing like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a day. And we had no other choice but to go direct-to-consumer, so we kind of just took all of our energy and focused on direct-to-consumer. And at that moment, it started to really, really scale, and more and more people started to be able to buy it. We have a big following in Korea, and I think that happens from, like I said, like Justin Timberlake and Bieber, and those guys are like pop stars. So they don't really move the needle in America but they do move the needle in Korea because all of the K-pop people, um, entertainers, they know Justin Bieber's wearing Maubin. So then they're like, wow, I need to wear it. And then the fans of the Korean pop stars which are Korean consumers then they want to wear it because the K-pop guy wore it and the K-pop guy wore it because Justin Timberlake wore it so like that type of thing happened too and again being able to ship globally on direct-to-consumer it just really started getting our um, consumers up and then as the consumers became larger and larger then our quality and our product offerings all scaled as well. You know, working with Nike and all of those brands are great. Working with Adidas now. And um, they've all helped us. Like, all of the brand collaborations either help us show the golf world that young creative people are actually not as scary as you may think. Or working with, like, Beats by Dre or JBL speakers. Like, you have to figure working with the Beats by Dre that, like, if they have 5 million Instagram followers or something... Most of those people don't golf. So now we're inspiring young people because beats is like golf's actually pretty cool. So they like beats because it's music and it's art and it's everything else. So now they're like, wow, maybe golf isn't as lame as I thought it was. Um, same thing when you're working with like girl skateboards or we did a collaboration with Chief Keef and uh, we're doing, you know, like. Chief Keef's a rapper from Chicago. Like people that follow him don't golf. I'm I'm sure of it. You know, but when we do photo shoots of him in the studio cleaning his golf clubs, it makes a lot of people who used to never think about golf think like, "Wow, if if Sosa's golfing, maybe I sh- I should." You know, working with your significant other, it's not all good, but it's not all bad. It's great in areas where. We're constantly working. Our kids are involved in our in our company too. Um, I heard something a long time ago that like uh, if a husband and a wife own a restaurant, one person has to be in charge of the kitchen and one person has to be in charge of the the dining area, right? Like one person's cooking and one person's working the register. But if you both want to be in the kitchen, your your business will your your restaurant will go out of business. So I think it's a, like having very distinct you know who's cooking and who's paying type of deal and and in our life and in our business it switches so like when we're doing like you know she is in the kitchen if you will which is more the creative side of it when it comes to like our homes our retail stores what vehicles we drive doctors and dentists and schools That's all her stuff where she is definitely, you know, painting that painting to her in her brain. And I'm following along. And then there's other stuff like, you know, branding and creative direction and signing pro golfers and doing collaborations and working with brand partnerships and um, inventing new product offerings, et cetera, where she's like, well, I don't really know like about putters but I'm gonna follow your lead and I trust you and I believe in you and you know that's kind of what it comes down to it was nuts at first when we were just the two of us like literally like running out of money building the first shop and like having to borrow money from our parents and just yeah there's a lot to work through together and but again you're doing it together so it's less like horrifying than if you were doing it by yourself and then coming home to your significant other and being like everything's fine it's like at least she knows and i know like what the situation is and we stick together and work together and and kind of roll with the punches and and try to work through it i learned in that folk tech school thing when i was young that if you can look at something, a brand of visual, um, you know, visual communication. So if you see a billboard and it's really, really good, then you should just say it's really, really good and move on and that's it. But if you could also look at it and say, wow, I think if I did this, it could be a bit better and to like consciously look and critique and look at other things of what other brands are doing or other artists or other people or other agencies. And just seeing like, if you can look at stuff that's already good and you can visualize and think like I, this is good, but like if we did a B and C, it would be great. And I've learned that at a young age. So I think I do a lot of that of looking at how a surf company rolls out a new product line or, you know fashion brands and and just looking at things and not trying to be like snooty or like i could do it better but like constructive criticism and doing that in my own brain looking at like and and again it's like you can't do certain stuff any better like this microphone i'm using like it's impossible to do that better right and you just have to move on like that branding with the logo black and white on it perfectly like That's it. It's as good as it's going to get. Don't waste time on it. But if there was another one and it was too small, I would think to myself, well, I think that could be better. And I think entrepreneurs just like, you know, you have to be in love with what you're doing, almost blind love, where like, you know, not giving up and not, um, not bailing on, you know, it's like stay down and, keep going and keep believing in it and it will work if if you don't give up i think like jay-z said in a song like i will not lose but it's like the only way you can really lose is if you quit so just don't quit
0: according to you what is a successful company
1: I mean, I guess like obviously it needs to make money, you know, it's like a, if you're in the business of being profitable and you have a lifestyle and things, so like on one side, it has to make money and be able to employ people and have like a really good energy and fun place to work and help the employees and help the people who are helping you and everyone work together and you know it's very successful when you have like a happy staff that like each other and look forward to like company dinners and um, small victories that you celebrate together over and over and success yeah like I think that's it it's like a happy you know a happy wife is a happy life and a a, a happy spouse is a a happy house so you you know same thing if your employees are happy everyone's moving in the same direction together and peacefully and like having fun along the way and it's making money that's very successful.
0: Along the same note what is a successful entrepreneur to you?
1: I think just a, a successful entrepreneur is someone who loves what they do and you know like I tell people, like, one of the things we say in our company the most is, um, you know, it'll be like, they'll say, like, how was the tag Zoom? And I'll say, well, it it beats work. You know, like, it beats work. Like, it doesn't seem like I'm, I don't feel like I have a job. I don't feel like I'm going to work. I'm inspired. And I think a successful entrepreneur is so inspired and um You know, you don't want to be motivated out of desperation. You want to be motivated out of inspiration. So if you're motivated by inspiration, it doesn't feel like work. If you're motivated by desperation, that's not success. Like, well, the board and this and target numbers. And like when you get into all of that stuff, I think, you know, I heard before, like when you talk about money, God leaves the room you know, so it's like, just be inspired and just be happy and, and do what you love to do. And if you do those things, then like, obviously money will follow.
0: What is your advice to people who want to launch a business as a couple?
1: It's good. Just make sure if you're launching a business as a couple, um, make sure your roles are truly defined. And you know, who's, you know, who's cooking and who's Selling the the goods like you both can't do the same thing, and if you try to do the same thing, it's going to be a headbutt. You know they say you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, I think it's very very true. If if you're working together with your significant other, then you know just make sure you're doing different things and make sure you lean into each other's strengths and you don't try to do everything. It's the greatest. Thing I could ever imagine being in business with my wife for those reasons where like she deals with like, um, you know, the accounting stuff and taxes stuff and, you know, all of our legal stuff. And like, I trust her so much that I don't have to think about those things. I don't think about the legal stuff. I don't think about our taxes and our finances. And like, I don't even know how much money. I have, but I know I have enough for today and I know she's very focused on that stuff.
0: What is your vision for the future of Melbourne golf?
1: I think my vision for the future of Melbourne golf is to kind of, I think we've done a really, really good job at getting to maybe like five or 10% of the golfers in the world that know who we are and love us and are a part of, um, this kind of movement or whatever, but, You know, I think it's about inspiring more people and it's about getting towards like more the mainstream, but doing it in our very like, you know, um, personal way and not just jumping in and doing it too fast, but like slowly but surely and, and getting it you know, around more and more people. We have PGA players on the LPGA. We have Charlie Hall and Lee Six, and we have um, Jason Day, Uh, who's former world number one. But, like, we had an event the other night, and it's in Los Angeles during the the Riviera Genesis Open, and Jason came, and it's like sharing Jason with our community was, like, the best feeling ever, but it, it was almost more rewarding to share our community with Jason because he's such like a pro golfer. He stays his life. He does not get to be around, you know, a couple hundred people who are like creatively the creative energy in the venue and the space was like overwhelming to him and he just had the best time ever. But like, I think it's in a, um, it's like a revolutionary feeling when you can like be yourself and, you know, Jason's a 36 year old dude that's like played on golf tour for 17 years, but like he likes fashion and he likes music and he likes skateboarding and he likes art and he loves all of these things. But when you only get to see these pro golfers on TV, you don't realize that they're actually humans and they have passions and they love subcultures and, you you know, it's, it's, I think it's just a matter of like keep doing what we're doing and like trying to urge people to be who they are and be proud of it and, and be respectful. But, you know, you're awesome. And just, I think the more we can share that and the wider we can kind of, uh, the louder we can use the bullhorn to um, spread the messages and, and the feeling of our brand. And, um, yeah.
0: I love that approach. How would you say you think Melbourne golf is changing the perception of golf amongst youth? Uh, And how would you say that that sets you apart from your competitors?
1: Uh, I think we're changing the, it's basically like, we were kind of the first brand to be ourselves in golf and show all of our other love and passion points as well. So since we were one of the first, I feel like we've, there's thousands of other brands that are like, I'm kind of like Malbin and I want to like make my own brand too. And like, I don't think of I'm, golf is a sport where like, I love golf so much that like, I'm a fan of every single golf brand. You know, and like, I don't look at any brands as our competition. Like, there's brands that are smaller than us, that are creative and that are cool. And, you know, I'm a fan. I mean, do they have challenges ahead of them? Of course, right? Like, I went through the same things they're going through. And how do you go from. 5,000 Instagram followers to 50,000 to 500,000 you know they have challenges ahead but it doesn't mean I'm not a fan of them and it doesn't mean they're not doing something good in creating a a full movement right so like one brand by themselves can't create a movement and I think what Malbin did was made people have confidence to be able to you know try to live out their own dream and their own vision of what golf is to them and what golf and lifestyle looks like so Now there's thousands of brands on, like, the creative side that I love and I'm fans of. And then I'm also, like, super fan. Like, Tiger Woods just started his own um, golf brand a few days ago called Sunday Red. And, like, I see, like, the trolls on the Internet, like, hating on, you know, the logo or the name or the clothes or something. And it's like, it's Tiger Woods. Like, you can't hate on him. There's, like, he's... I love Tiger Woods. I love golf. Like I'm a huge fan of his brand, but I'm a fan of, you know, like different from when I was snowboarding and I was younger. It was like, I rode a certain snowboard and like, I only liked that snowboard company. But for golf, like I love Titleist, Callaway, TaylorMade, Mizuno, Hanma. Like I love all the golf brands, big ones and small ones. And so I don't really feel the competition is like, myself I think like if I stay inspired and I wake up early and I stay positive and I'm present and like I don't really have that much competition if you will. Is this collaboration
0: with Tag Heuer Melbourne Golf one that is synonymous with success to you or what does it represent for you?
1: I think with tag, it's obviously, like, a heritage brand. My grandfather bought me a tag watch when I was very young. Um, So I'm obviously a big fan. I obviously know that, like, this watch that I've been using is very, very helpful And when it comes to golfing and getting yardages and, you know, thousands and thousands of golf courses already logged into the watch. So I think that's insane. And then, like I said, like, I'm a fan of, like, The history and the references and the research and the racing and the like all of the different looks and uniforms and, you know, how significant tag is in the world of of design and um, performance and and technology with the with the golf watch it was it's very much a success the the tag team is incredibly professional and they don't sh- take shortcuts when it comes to the product when it comes to the communications when it comes to the events the launch plans all of the um advertising and marketing and the POS and the store design like the level of detail is insane and i'm just honored to have been able to work through this whole process um all the way into this you know podcast we're doing now and erica and i will be going out to seoul for uh, the launch on i believe the 23rd and just yeah that the perfection is definitely what comes to mind when it comes to the team and the products and um just the overall like good vibes and excitement from like the CMO, all the way down to like the designers and the communication people, the retail people, the global team that worked on this project. And I'm honored to have shared the time with them.
0: Fantastic. Well, on that note, I come to our final question this is a question that we'll be asking all of our guests on this season of the edge podcast and you are our first guest this season. So you have the honor to answer the question first. So no pressure at all, but what does the edge mean to you?
1: Um, The first thing that just came to my mind is the edge is like um, the edge is like the furthest point you can go before return. Right? Like, so there's like, you know, um, if I'm like dreaming, sometimes I go over the edge, and then I'm like, when I wake up, I'm like, thank God I I was dreaming because you don't want to get stuck over on the other side of the edge. So I think it's like the feeling of like butterflies and like um, chills almost, and like fear and excitement and um, the 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 unknown. And it's like just before you fall over the edge, you like take a step back. It's like that feeling of uh, almost like horrifying and like amazingly exciting as well.
0: That is a fantastic answer and one that I think is incredibly descriptive for our listeners. So thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for your time today. It was an honor to hear your story, know more about the brand, more about you. And it's been a pleasure.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear and and see the pod and see the release. I I can't wait
0: for you to teach me how to golf better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Come to Seoul in the fall.
0: I will do. Or Pebble
1: Beach. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge. If you'd like to listen to more episodes like this one, then have a listen to our interviews with entrepreneurs Roberto Lacorte, Ian Rogers, and George Bamford. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to subscribe. And please leave us five stars. It really does make a difference. Thank you to Stephen Melbourne for joining us. I'm your host, Naomi Schiff, and I'll be back next month with another episode of The Edge, a podcast by Tag Heuer. See you soon!